absolutely intercultural. Absolutely intercultural. Absolutely intercultural. Absolutely intercultural. Welcome to show 287 of Absolutely Intercultural, coming to you from Denmark. My name's Anne Fox, and Denmark is where I have lived for almost 30 years. It's a small country of nearly six million people, which has eight universities. Compared to Germany's 380, or the USA's seemingly too many to count, but let's settle for over 4,000, eight Danish universities seems like a very small pool to choose from. So why would anybody come to Denmark for their university studies? This is what we're going to find out in this show. We'll be talking to Peter from South Africa, who has a complex family history that is reflected in the languages spoken at home. We we mix it quite a lot. It kind of depends on who you're looking at. So if I'm looking at my dad, I'll speak German. But if I look at my siblings or my mom, I'll speak English. So sometimes there's a strange mid-sentence switch of languages. And Ulva from Iceland, who's noticed something about Denmark. Denmark is a country of many, many PhDs. It's a very well-educated country. You'll find a professor of whatever you want if you, if you look hard enough. In our first segment, Absolutely Uncertain, let's find out how Peter came to Denmark to study in Danish after being brought up in South Africa and having done his schooling in German. I grew up in Johannesburg, South Africa. And German is not one of the official languages as far as I know. Can you tell me a little bit about that? German is not one of the official languages. Um, and of the official languages, I unfortunately only speak English. <laughs> um, but there are actually surprisingly many Germans in South Africa. Um, so many that there are, in fact, a handful of German schools, different places in South Africa. So I went to the German school in Johannesburg, where we were about a thousand students from grade one to grade 12. That is due to your family history, which is not German, but something else. Can you explain a bit about that? My father was born in the southern part of Denmark, in a region that used to be German, but today is Danish. So my family is actually mostly German, uh, but they currently live in Denmark. And he is also Danish then, but even though his family is German and he speaks German. And mm. he moved to South Africa when he was about 10 with his mom. And then I, yeah, I was born in South Africa and I grew up in South Africa. And then the German roots is kind of why me and my siblings went to the German school. Mm -hmm. So you would speak German at home? We, we mix it quite a lot. It kind of depends on who you're looking at. So if I'm looking at my dad, I'll speak German. But if I look at my siblings or my mom, I'll speak English. So sometimes there's a strange mid-sentence switch of languages. <laughs> So you, you grew up in South Africa, you went to a German speaking school, and then when you got to the end of high school and you were starting to think about higher education, where did you decide to go and why? 
So I've always really liked Europe. We used to come to Europe traveling. We'd do bicycle rides in Denmark and Germany. And I've always really liked it in Europe. So I think from an early age, I, I knew that I'd one day want to move to Europe. And then my route to Germany and Denmark kind of made it an obvious choice, one of those two countries. And then there was some technicalities because my dad was born in the south of Denmark, so he has a Danish passport, which I then also obtained when I was born. And the Danes have a rule that if you want to keep the passport, you have to kind of show that you you have a connection to Denmark. Mm. And that's why I decided to move to Denmark so that I can actually try and learn the language and spend some time there and learn about the culture. Mm -hmm. So you came to Denmark to learn the language and, and then you decided to go to university there. Could Denmark fulfill your ambitions regarding university? <laughs> so initially I, I didn't speak Danish. So I applied at the only university that offered my course in English. I study physics. Mm. And yeah, so this was a university in a town called Roskilde, close to Copenhagen. And I wasn't entirely happy, happy there. <laughs> um, mm. So while I was studying there, I decided to um, make a real effort and learn Danish so that I could, after a few years, then swap to the, the university in Copenhagen, where they have a very, very good physics course, which is un unfortunately for me taught in Danish. So then after about two years at the university in Roskilde, I, I restarted my bachelor in Copenhagen. And then I did both my bachelor and my master's in, in Copenhagen. So you were doing a degree course and then later a master's course in a language that until about five years ago, you didn't know. Um, I think that's quite a brave thing to do. How, how did it go? It went surprisingly well, actually. Um, and I think that's because during my time in Roskilde, I lived with Danish people in, in like a communal flat. And we kind of had a no English policy where even if it would take me five minutes to <laughs> put a sentence together, we would just insist on, on speaking Danish. Mm. And I think through them, I learned it very, very quickly. That's so incredibly self-disciplined. <laughs> I mean, it was also just a lot of fun learning, I think, because there's, there's strange connections to both English and to German that I just yeah. thought were very, very interesting. Yeah. There was obviously a family connection there. In our next segment, Absolutely Engineered, let's hear from Ulva, an Icelander who had limited options for his master's back in Iceland and chose Denmark. So when you finished high school and you were making decisions about what to do next, what were you thinking about your options? Well, now I feel like I have to give a bit of background. To me, because of my family, I always felt I should go into some sort of higher education. My dad's a doctor and my mom's some sort of CEO. There was never any sort of pressure, but in inherent internal pressure, I guess, for myself. That meant that I would carry on to at least do a bachelor's. So I went into engineering and did a bachelor's in industrial engineering at the University of Iceland. 
because that was uh, close to home. And at the, at the time, I still lived at home. And then the plan was to finish that up. And then because in Iceland, you cannot call yourself an engineer without a master's degree and being in the engineer's union. So then the obvious next step was to take a master's degree. Yeah. And can you do that in Iceland? You can, but it's quite limited because we only have the two or three universities and then the programs are not so broad. Maybe uh, just step back a little bit and remind people yeah. how many people are there actually in Iceland? Well, Iceland is a country of around, nowadays, I think, 350,000 people. We do have the University of Iceland is actually, as far as I know, it's a good university. Mm. But due to us being so few people and not having very many international students, then there just aren't so many programs to choose from. Mm-hmm. And then in the master's level, there was nothing really, no real study lines. It would have been a project that I took, and then I would follow that project throughout the two years that it would take. So to me, the, the choice was quite clear, and that was to find a foreign university to try to do a master's at. Mm-hmm. And this, because in Iceland, we, we were a Danish colony, so we have a relationship to the Danish. The obvious first place to look at was there, and... During my schooling and and also from just uh, talking to people, this university, DTU, Technical University of Denmark, it often comes up as one of the better ones that's still quite close to home. And that's also where I ended up going. And I followed a master's program there called Manufacturing Engineering for two years until I finished my degree. Plan had always been to stop education as soon as I got my master's and go back to Iceland. Mm. But then I got the opportunity to do the PhD. Now, let's hear where Peter is at the moment and why. So, okay, so you ended up in a Danish university, you learned Danish, you finished your bachelor's and then you did your master's in, in Denmark. And now you're not in Denmark anymore. So can you explain about that? I'm currently living in Basel in Switzerland. Uh, I'm a doctorate student at the University of Basel. Um, You could have done a PhD in Copenhagen. So what made you decide that you would do the PhD in Switzerland instead? So I think there's a few points that made me decide to come to Switzerland. Uh, The one was that it's not entirely obvious whether I could actually do a PhD in in Denmark. Uh Because so the, I'm I'm interested in condensed matter physics, and the the group in Copenhagen is relatively small, so they don't always have the money or the time for new PhD students. Mm. So yeah, it's just easier to find a spot if you look everywhere. Mm. <laughs> and another point is that this group in Basel is very well known in my field, mm. and that my. My, my master's thesis supervisor has some connections to Basel, which allowed me to come here rather yeah. smoothly. But even if you had stayed in Denmark, you still would have been expected to go abroad for part of the PhD. So, yeah, so in Denmark, there's a rule about, I'm not sure what the minimum is, but PhD students tend to spend at least a month uh, abroad at another university, researching in their field, just at a different group. Mm. 
have you any idea what the thinking behind that is? Because I'm not sure that, for example, a, a spell abroad is not part of your PhD in Switzerland, or is it? It's not officially, it's not a requirement to finish the PhD, but it is, it's not uncommon. Okay. So currently one of my colleagues is spending a year in Japan. We have a group in, in Tokyo, which is quite closely related to our group um, where, where she's currently working. Um, and I, so to answer your other question, different research groups not only have different focuses, but also have different methodologies and different processes. And if you spend your entire career in only one group, you're kind of missing out on a lot, which you might experience from other groups. And I think that that's why in Denmark, they have this rule, mm. not like to give you access, but to broaden your horizon, something like that. And do you feel that your horizons will be broadened? Definitely. So the, the physics that my colleagues are doing in Basel is, is significantly different from uh, what was what is done in, in Copenhagen. Mm. So for instance, they, they focus on other materials or they use different methods. Um, and they, I mean, they also have other collaborators. So you're also exposed to, to other people. So it's an, an enriching experience. Exactly. And even though Ulva is taking his PhD in Denmark, that's not where he was when I spoke to him in August. Right now, I'm, I find myself in Germany. As part of the PhD trajectory, you're expected to do an external research visit for a period of up to three months. Early on in my PhD, I actually did two months, but then there was a reason to come back, so I still had a month to do. So now I find myself in Darmstadt, staying with the Technical University of Darmstadt, where I am doing some experiments and general networking with the people here. So why do you think this is part of the PhD tradition in Denmark? Because Denmark is much bigger than Iceland, but still it's quite small. To me, if I, if I just speak about my experience from doing this first, is that getting the chance to visit a foreign research environment is very maturing for me, for example. I, I really liked coming here and, and visiting and seeing how they do things here because it is so different from what we do in Denmark. And I think this is exactly what they want the PhD students to find when they go externally. Denmark is a country of many, many PhDs. It's a very well-educated country. You'll find a professor of whatever you want if you, if you look hard enough. But this then means that uh, if you don't go out and, and bring in new knowledge and traditions from other places, of course, you get uh, a bit of uh, things sort of stabilize, but mm. not in a good way. Now, can I ask about your friends from school in Iceland or from university in Iceland? Have they all stayed in Iceland? Actually, no. <laughs> I, I think, well, of course, I I know people from my elementary school years and then high school years. But uh, whoever I did my bachelor's with, they seem to also have gone somewhere mm. to pursue further education. And like I said before, there's not so many options in Iceland for master's programs. So this has meant that 
some of them end up in Switzerland, some in the US and some in uh, Germany and, and other places. Mm -hmm. But if I think back and I think about the people who I shared elementary school, I'd say maybe 70% of them are still in Iceland. Mm -hmm. That's still a high percentage who are not. Yeah, that's true. But I think this is because Icelanders become part of Iceland quite quickly. Because <laughs> not much happens there. Your masters in Danish? No. So the, the, that's, yeah, the, the language is another difference. Because in Iceland, uh, of course, we, we speak Icelandic. And, and then the bachelor studies are typically done in Icelandic. Hmm. Unless there's a foreign student there or the professor is maybe not Icelandic or the teacher. Uh, but in Denmark, of course, they do the bachelor's in, in, for the same reason in, in Danish. Yeah. And I, I guess this is because they expect mostly Danes to be taking bachelor's level uh, studies there. Yeah. Same as in Iceland. But if we then think about the master's level the master's level courses in Denmark are taught in English completely. Mm. Maybe I could tell you a bit about why going to Germany is, is nice for a researcher yeah. or scientist. Yeah, okay. In Denmark, we we have all these different professors and, and a lot of funding goes to research. But there are a lot of uh, hands to grab at the funding. So each hand only gets so much. Mm. And this has then meant that we don't have all that much money to do our research in Denmark. Whereas here, at least how they do it in this institution, each PhD student is essentially involved in two projects that they have full funding for. Mm. And then there's various support funding from the government and, and things like that, which means that they have so many cool things. <laughs> right. Uh, so many big machines and uh, cool uh, measuring equipment and all of that. So coming here has been a very nice opportunity to use these things and, and test what, what what I couldn't do in Denmark, yeah. for example. Yeah. I didn't realize it's the, the lure of the tech, the lure of the, mm. of the machines. They're uh, very well equipped. So maybe small is beautiful after all. Family history and colonial ties seem to count a lot in addition to any global ranking that Danish universities may also have. Just for information, DTU is number 165 globally, or when we're talking specifically engineering and technology, third after Stanford and MIT, while Copenhagen is 107 globally. And Iceland has seven universities, which is only one less than Denmark, but it's something to do with size, I think. What about you? Did you ever consider studying in a small country like Denmark? Get in touch. Feel free to share your unique story with us here on the podcast. Write a comment or mail us. We could do a follow-up interview with you in one of our next shows. On our webpage, absolutely-intercultural.com, you can get more information about this show and previous episodes, and you can leave comments. And if you enjoyed the show, please like us on Facebook too. By the way, did you know that we're also on iTunes or Apple Podcasts? You can subscribe to us there for free and give us a rating and a comment. The next show will be coming to you from Germany on November the 3rd, until then, stay tuned. 
absolutely intercultural. Fullständig Absolutely intercultural. Absolutely intercultural.